I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if this podcast is helpful to you, come join us at the Digital Commerce Alliance. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, we have the second half of Dan's recent interview with Paul Siegfried, SVP of Financial Services at TransUnion. Dan and Paul are talking about some of the bigger issues in retail and financial services these days, including the evolving relationship between online and offline commerce, BNPL, and the resilience of consumers in the face of constant challenges. Paul has good reason to know consumers. TransUnion's database maintains 500 million business and client credit histories worldwide, provided by more than 85,000 credit-granting institutions. Before we get to their conversation, we'll dig into a couple of today's big stories in digital commerce. First, what's the future of inflation? Second, a closer look at retail sales data. And finally, interchange fees and Congress. After the interview with Paul, We'll close with a look at super apps. Do they have a future outside of China? Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Commerce Code listeners are surely very familiar with the persistent reports of high inflation, not just in the USA, but around the world, and a drumbeat of reporting on how central bank policy will respond. All this potentially puts the economy in peril, but most economists, and surely the kind who run central banks, believe that taming inflation takes priority. The Consumer Price Index's core measure of inflation, which strips out energy and food, rose 6.6% on an annual basis last month, its fastest monthly pace in four decades. But what is inflation going to be like in the future? Smart people tend to avoid answering such questions because it's really hard to be right. Any economist who predicted future inflation last year would have been quite wrong, and now it seems they are all gun-shy. But markets trade treasuries, and from that, we can see what traders think the long-term inflation environment will be. The St. Louis Fed has a tracker showing what markets think the five-year break-even inflation rate is based on trading in five-year treasuries. And you might be surprised at the numbers. Markets currently expect inflation to be 2.4% over the next five years and 2.3% over the next 10 years. So, if someone asks you to predict the future of inflation, just tell them 2.4% and then make sure to blame it on a bunch of traders you don't know if it turns out to be wrong. Our second item today, taking a closer look at retail sales. The U.S. Commerce Department reported Thursday that retail sales were flat month over month in September after increasing four-tenths of a percent from July to August. But from a certain perspective, no growth in retail sales is too optimistic. If we adjust the measure for inflation, it turns out that real retail sales fell, 
Worse, inflation-adjusted retail sales have fallen in four of the last five months. Finally, credit card interchange fees and Congress. This is a story that will surely go on for a long time, which you could have guessed since we already told you that it involved Congress. The Credit Card Competition Act, supported by some very prominent retailers, would mandate that merchants have access to at least two unaffiliated credit networks for routing card transactions when consumers swipe to pay. Of course, the legislation would create more competition for Visa and MasterCard and likely reduce interchange fees. Interchange fees are higher in the United States than elsewhere, and a change of this kind would have a wide variety of effects on the industry. Recently, the bill's Republican and Democratic sponsors tried to attach it to the National Defense Authorization Act. What do payment systems have to do with national defense? Nothing. And that's the point. This is a typical move in Washington, since big legislation like the NDAA or the Farm Bill have to be passed. So if you can slip a bill into the legislation, it will almost certainly become law. The Credit Card Competition Act didn't make it into the defense legislation, so its sponsors will have to try to get it onto another passing train. We'll stay on top of that effort, because this legislation could have a huge impact on digital commerce in the USA, and even globally. Now, we turn to Dan's conversation with Paul Siegfried of TransUnion. Paul, thank you for joining us again on Commerce Code. We had a great conversation last time, just a few weeks ago, and we wanted to come back and just hit some bigger picture things on conversations we've been having with you, kind of about market structure and some things that are just happening these days. And so I wanted to start with this question, which is, I'd love to hear about kind of a detail, a data point, or just a a factor that you think is surprising, kind of important right now in how the market is working. Thanks, Dan, for having me on. And yeah, I think that there's interesting trends that we've seen over the last two years that have come into play. And it's interesting to watch as they continue. One that we saw, and when we think about in the middle of 2020, we were in a low mobility state. We observed that consumers were conducting the majority of their commerce in a remote e-commerce way where they're having many, many goods delivered to their homes. They went out as little as possible to conduct commerce. And, and I think that obviously we've seen that change as the economies open back up and our, our retailing community has gotten back to full bore. And I think what's going to be interesting to watch, and I think we've already seen some of this, where there are consumers that enjoy the retail experience and that there are certain items that they're looking for where they want to obtain that now. They don't want to wait for delivery or it's just more convenient or more options are available to them to go through that real life merchant experience. I think one thing that we've seen that goes along with that is, for instance, in bank card, how consumers have looked at their rewards programs, have they looked at acquiring the different cards and how that aligns with their shopping experience. You know, an- another, you mentioned cards and consumer buying behavior. Another kind of structural thing that's going on right now is the rise, and then I'm not sure what, of BNPL, buy now, pay later. Lots of change in that market. What do you make of it? So do you think that BNPL companies you know, might see some better times ahead for various reasons, or is that business model just uh, under so much pressure from interest rates, it's going to be hard for them? 
Well, there's always a lot that we don't know in any market. And I think the one thing about BNPL you have to start with is the consumer. So I, I think from the consumer's perspective, here's a product set that brings more choice. Again, if you look at the consumer, it's always a great time to be a consumer right now because they've got more payment choices than they've ever had before, whether it's form of payment or type of payment. And in terms of BNPL, what TransUnion's research would show is that there are many of these consumers that are accessing BNPL really to spread their liquidity. When you're able to spread a pay in four out over six weeks, these consumers are able to go from one pay period and extend themselves into an the next pay period, or even one more pay period. And so there's certainly a perceived value for many consumers with a BNPL experience. I do think that there's pressure, and Dan, you you mentioned on, on the interest rates, and I think any payment form is going to be under pressure as the environment changes. And I think certainly the rising rate environment is one that can create challenges for any entity that relies on third-party funding. Over the last couple of years, I've thought several times it would be a really fun time to be teaching undergraduate economics because there's just so many great and weird examples, you know, in the news every day these days. But there's also some really puzzling stuff, right? There's some stuff happening that I can't wrap my head around. And so I would just wanted to put it to you as somebody who just thinks about this stuff all day about the economy, the market and consumers. What's been kind of the biggest surprise for you in the last two years? You, know, you take it from the beginning of the pandemic until now. A lot of weird stuff has happened. What do you think has been most surprising? Well, I think the one thing that's surprising, and you mentioned economics, and you know, this is the study of really people. And the one thing that surprises me from two, two and a half years ago to today is that people are resilient. Consumers are resilient. And people will find a way to navigate any situation and they'll do it surprisingly well. And I think that maybe not everyone is able to always do it well, but I think that's the one thing that surprises me. I think you reach a point of dire times and yet when you enable consumers, you enable people to find ways to work through a problem, they'll come through. That is what surprises me more than anything. The last time you and I talked, we I sort of started with the contrast between your first episode of Commerce Code a couple of years ago, which was high unemployment and doom and gloom and, and, and what's going to happen. And, and now, you know, which is just, we, we've in a sense been, uh, this isn't quite right, but a little too resilient, perhaps, Paul. And so, you know, this is, we, we have such a vital ability to respond, to flex and adapt. And uh, I would never have thought that we'd have this portfolio of problems in 2022 if you rolled it back a couple of years, right? Our, our problems being, in a way, too much buying going on and inflation as a result of that. And, and it has to do with a lot of background things. But at the end of the day, people are doing a little better than we might have expected, huh? Well, it really does seem to play out that way. And I think that we've definitely seen consumers that were on sound footing secure that footing. I think that the one thing that we'll continue to watch are consumers that, that were not on secure footing before. And while they've certainly gotten by for the last couple of years, I, I think it's those consumers that are most at risk in a high inflationary environment. That's the consumer set that I, I think we've got to watch and represents the greatest risk. That's a good place to close. And I'm grateful, Paul, for your time and for your insight and for uh, having you join us again on Commerce Code. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, Dan. Thanks again. And uh, hope everyone has a great day. Coming right up, super apps in the West and super apps in China. In the last decade, 
Fintech firms have introduced hundreds of easy-to-use mobile apps. Consumers embraced these largely single-purpose apps, leading to a proliferation of apps on smartphones. That complexity leads to a natural question. Could one company serve many consumer needs on a single app? Super apps are integrated digital ecosystems with multiple different and sometimes unrelated capabilities. And they're still just an idea in most of the world, but they're pretty prominent in China. In China, and really anywhere in the world among Chinese speakers, WeChat and Alibaba are multi-use platforms. They're virtual indoor malls in the palm of your hand. We don't have anything like that in the West, though Microsoft is developing a super app platform called Start. Do consumers outside of greater China want super apps? Well, as with most innovations, I'm not sure folks in China wanted super apps before they evolved. And they did evolve. WeChat, as its name suggests, was just a moderately popular messaging platform. And then it added a walkie-talkie type feature that became wildly popular and that we still don't have any examples of that I'm aware of in the West. And then more and more services were added to WeChat until shopping and medical data and you name it, everything was on there. Fast forward to today. And WeChat in particular has a lock on everything and, as we will see in a moment, everyone in China. This week, the MIT Technology Review had a rather disturbing piece illustrating the risk of letting a single platform control so many aspects of life. I'm just going to read some excerpts from the MIT Tech Review piece here. On Weibo, the popular Chinese social media platform, hundreds of desperate users were writing confession letters this past week. I have been in a terrible mental state due to the massive pressure from recent pandemic prevention measures. I lost my control and sent sensitive statements in a group chat with six people, one user wrote. I have profoundly realized my mistake. I hope WeChat can give me a chance to start with a clean slate. I won't let down the party and the country. The message was posted with a special hashtag for Tencent customer service. Messages like this share urgent pleas from users who've been banned from WeChat, begging company representatives to restore their social accounts on a service that has become an almost indispensable part of life in China. While the hashtags themselves aren't new, they were flooded late in the week after WeChat reportedly banned a large number of users. Those affected believe it was because they had discussed a rare political protest in Beijing. One user says he sent a photo of the protest to a group chat at 1.11 p.m. Beijing time on Thursday, and his account was permanently banned at 5.35 p.m. The decision was made, quote, according to the relevant internet policies as well as laws and regulations, close quote. The boilerplate notification from WeChat reads, being banned from WeChat isn't exactly a trivial matter. It has a significant practical impact on individuals as they are now blocked from using the many digital services tied to their accounts, from health QR codes to online subscriptions, it takes days, if not weeks, to reestablish their digital connections with a new account. In 2019, the Toronto-based research group Citizen Lab found that WeChat imposes real-time automatic censorship of chat images through a mix of text recognition, visual recognition, and tools for detecting duplicate files. Once a WeChat account is permanently banned, there aren't many ways to appeal the decision. The in-app appeals process returns a generic response, concluding that, quote, the restrictions cannot be removed. I doubt the privacy and liberty risks associated with super apps will be a big factor in their adoption or lack of adoption in the West, but maybe they should be. In this case, it's not quite the government 
that is shutting down accounts. It's notionally private sector entities acting on the basis of what they believe the government would probably want, or maybe has suggested that it wants. There are lots of ways this could happen anywhere in the world, really. I won't go on to discuss why that makes it particularly important for any piece of software or any commercial relationship to respect the dignity of the individual and ownership of that person's own data to themselves. On one level, that's obvious to a lot of us. On another level, it's kind of complicated and probably worth its own episode of Commerce Code. Commerce Code is a weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week. 